Hello and welcome to 1897. We're in my small crust of the Murray Coast, heading towards the Culbin Sands. Onwards from the train journey, we endured a narrow path towards the desert-like landscape which we are seeking. We saw only one other person on our way, a young woman who carried a pail of milk. I wondered how she would pass us on such a narrow path, but she delicately dovetailed herself into a briar bush. She looked like a painting while framed by the wild roses, and she held her pail of milk steady. It reminded me just for a moment of Isabel and how she had spoken so fondly of her cows, and then the moment was gone. We continued on our path to come to a broad river, which emptied into the Murray Firth. And so we climbed aboard a ferry boat, and are now approaching by the water. In my times, to get to the Culbin, you would either cycle, walk, or drive, and then the journey would continue on foot. So this wee boat is a novelty for me. I get the impression that many of the folks helping with this expedition, the lads carrying the picnic basket and the ferryman, are all either family or friends of our dedicated guide, wee Hamish. As we settle on the water, Hamish takes out a book of local history and begins to recite the story of the scene ahead of us. It sums up what we're seeing as the desert opens in front of our eyes. I look on in awe to see this place in a completely different time and a different light. The spirit of the scene is its unspeakable loneliness, its utter desolation. For four long miles, and occupying a space two miles broad, you have nothing but a great sea of sand rising, as it were, in tumultuous billows. We find nothing but a succession of hills. They are all of the finest, lightest, most powdery sand, sparkling in pearly beauty. These hills are of sand so light that its surface is mottled into delicate wave lines by the wind, like a painting. There is no softness, no speck of colour to relieve the eye, nothing but the fierce, unbroken glare of white sand. Your shadow is reflected on the sand with startling distinctness, and your companions a few yards away look like dim, weird figures in the remote distance. You can fancy yourself in the heart of some arid desert. No sound is audible. The murmur of the waves on the shore no longer falls upon your ear. The call of the seabird does not reach you. The hum of insect life is a-wanting. And no voice of man nor cry of beast is heard. Silence reigns supreme. The solitude is absolute and unbroken. 
and if a whispering sound does attract you for a moment, you find it is but the hissing of the sand as it pours down the hillsides in its work of desolation. It is almost impossible for a time to shake off the oppressive feeling which the scene begets. But, when you have got over your bewilderment to some extent, you find many things to interest you. The view from the top of some of the hills is magnificent. The well-known features of the country and the mountain ranges to the west, the north and the south are all seen to advantage. But there is so much of novelty in the sandy desert itself that you bestow but a passing glance upon the surrounding scenery, beautiful as it is. To reach the top of one of the hills is generally enough for the strength of most visitors. But amongst the strange openings of the hills, we can follow their singular windings from place to place. Then you are puzzled to account for the occurrence here and there of shingle beaches, and you probe your stick into them and find they consist of peat, oyster and other shells intermixed with rounded gravel. In these beds, or raised beaches, you may occasionally find flint arrowheads and scrapers and stone axes. I wonder how much of Isabel's story comes from living in a land so rich with archaeology. It's strange. When you live in a city, it's easy to see the past written in the different ages of the streets and the buildings. You can read the heritage of a city through the soles of your feet as you feel the different surfaces of pavement, from the old cobbles to the smooth paving. But growing up next to the Culbin, it was different for me. When you see the nature, the trees and the coast, it's hard to imagine that the land ever looked any other way. But generation upon generation lived in this place, and nothing about it is natural. It's just that when stories are buried, they are easily forgotten. The sand which overwhelmed Culban came from the west in the autumn of 1694. It came suddenly and with short warning. A man ploughing had to desert his plough in the middle of the furrow. The reapers in a field of late barley had to leave without finishing their work. In a few short hours, the plough and the barley were buried beneath the sand. The drift, like a mighty river, came on steadily and ruthlessly, seizing field after field and enshrouding every object in a mantle of sand. Everything which obstructed its progress speedily became the nucleus of a sand mound. In terrible gusts, the wind carried the sand amongst the dwelling houses of the people, sparing neither the hut of the Kotar nor the mansion of the Laird. The splendid orchard, the beautiful lawn, all shared the same fate. In the morning after the night of the storm, the people had to break through the back of their houses to get out. They relieved the cattle and drove them to a place of safety. 
A lull in the storm succeeded, and they began to think they might still have their dwelling houses, though their lands were ruined forever. But the storm came on with renewed violence, and they had to flee for their lives, taking with them only the things that they could carry. What a strange scene it must have been. These poor people rushing from their hearths and homes amidst the blinding and bewildering sandstorm. And to add to the horrors of the scene, the sand had choked the mouth of the river Fintorn, which now poured its flooded waters amongst the fields and homesteads, accumulating in lakes and pools till it rose to a height by which it was able to burst the barrier to the east and find a new outlet to the sea. In its course, sweeping to destruction, the old village of Fintorn, which had but a short time before been abandoned by the villagers. On returning, the people of Culban were spellbound. Not a vestige, not a trace of their houses were to be seen. Everything had disappeared beneath the sand. The scene which met their anxious gaze that morning is the scene we now behold. The Culban is desolate and oppressive enough to us, but how terribly painful and harrowing must it have been to them. The landscape before me is evidence of the ruin of the Culban. We Hamish continues reading. I visited the Culban on a day with a strong westerly gale. On entering the dunes, the wind was tremendous, and as it came rushing down through the openings between the hills, carrying with it immense torrents of sand, its force and violence were almost overpowering. Clouds of sand were also continually falling from the tops of the mounds and whirling about in the wildest confusion. Nothing could be seen but sand above and sand below and sand everywhere. The place soon became very uncomfortable. And after having passed about an hour, groping my way along the base of the great sand hills, I deemed it prudent to return, lest I should get bewildered. On my return through one of those gorges, I felt the wind much fiercer than when I passed. The sand seemed to come in waves, which had a tangible weight and force. I was more than once likely to be carried off my feet. On approaching the last great sand hill, the wind poured down through the hollow as if it had been blowing through a funnel. The quantity of sand that drifted along must have been immense. I caught it in handfuls as it passed. When nearing the gorge, the wind had acquired a rotatory motion, and the sand, following the movement, drifted about and lashed me at times with some severity. Sand torrents whirled about in all directions, and had a most bewildering effect. Moving onwards, I kept my eyes shut, as though I was blindfolded. No man in his sober senses would venture to open his eyes at such a time unless he wished to have them sacrificed. 
I expected that the worst would soon be past, and that I should be able to grope my way at leisure out of this horrible place. So violent and tormenting were these attacks of gales and sands, as I could not help thinking that ancient gods must have leagued together to punish me for entering upon their domains. Whether the spirits took a part in the affair or not, I am not prepared to affirm. But, on coming out of that gorge, I felt as if a dozen whips were lashing me with great force around the body. No sooner had I got beyond the fierce influence of the sand drift than I felt something about me which was quite unaccountable, and which, for a time, made me exceedingly uncomfortable. I felt a pressure and a weight on my body which had the effect of dragging me down and stopping my progress, as if the power of gravitation had been increased tenfold. Certain dubious thoughts flashed quickly across the mind, and for a moment I stood petrified. At the same time I felt a burst of perspiration starting from every pore, and in less than a minute my whole body was suffused with moisture. What is the meaning of this? I asked the question to myself, and while in the midst of my perplexity I put my hand into my pocket in search of my pocket handkerchief to wipe away the big drops which trickled down my face, I found my pocket crammed with sand. I tried another, it was equally filled. Every pocket about me was filled with sand, and my clothes were completely saturated with it, and my shoes were like to burst my eyes, my ears, my nostrils and my mouth were all partakers more or less of it. On moving about, I observed the minute particles of sand pouring from my clothes, as thick as when a drizzling rain falls from a summer cloud. In short, I felt myself to be nearly altogether a man of sand. When you reach the edge of this piece of ground, you feel greatly surprised. Instead of a series of sea beaches, you see before you a large tract of the old fertile lands of Kilburn. For some time, you stand like a statue, quite absorbed with reflections on the past. You look around and you see the big, ghostly sandhills towering upwards on either side. On this rich field, the farmer had no doubt driven his team with a merry heart, sowed his seed, and in due time reaped a plentiful harvest. The hearty laugh of the reapers has been heard ringing merrily across this field, and wanton herds of livestock have fed luxuriantly on the rich herbage. Now, however, there is not so much as a single blade of grass to be seen on any part of the ground. It is a place of ruin. Desolation. And so, finally, we step onto the Kalpan Sands. <laughs>